We're in the Gospel of Matthew this morning, and uh, if you'd go ahead and turn there and get ready. Uh, so I had a case of uh, writer's block this week. Uh, when you get writer's block as a preacher, this is bad, because um, there's always a deadline. And uh, Sunday's coming whether or not you're ready for it or not. And uh, so when you get writer's block, there's things that you do to try and shake it loose. So I have a routine. I have things that I try to do to like sort of sort out why, why is there a block going on. And, uh, and this time around, uh, all of my tricks weren't working. Go for a walk. You know, if you're just stuck in your office, you think, just go out, get some sunshine on you. The walk didn't work. Went back, I started reading and praying, and like, okay, God, talk to me. And uh, nothing was coming. And so I was like, okay, i got to figure this out. So I took a nap, and uh, <laughs> usually a nap helps. You just sort of shut things down, and you think, everything's going to be all right. The world can run without me. All the nap got me was I wasn't able to sleep later that night, and, and then it was tossing and turning, and then you're tired the next day. And so I thought, okay, I've got to figure this thing out. Uh, so I went back to prayer, went back to reading Scripture, and nothing's popping in. That's how it works, by the way. You wonder, how does a sermon come together? It's only, honestly just praying and reading, and something pops up. And it's like, okay, that sounds good. Um, that's probably not the most technical approach to preaching, um, but that's what it's been for 11 years for you. So, uh, But the, uh, there's been a lot more planning to it. I shouldn't downplay it. But um, it was just not coming together. And I, I, realized, uh, I realized the issue, uh, and it was kind of the last straw was to build myself a campfire uh, campfires are, for me, a cause of introspection and thinking about a life and what's going on. And here's the, uh, here's the revelation for me. Uh, what you get on a Sunday morning uh, is not a, uh, what I, I would describe as a well-manuscripted, polished sermon. What you get is my heart. That's what, that's what you get every week, or at least I hope. And I realized what the issue was and why I had writer's block. And it's because, honestly, my heart is hurting. And it's not hurting uh, for any one particular reason, but several that sort of stockpiled in a month. And I reached out to you and I said, would you pray for me? And I know that you have. And I think the reason why we have a sermon today is because you've been praying for me. Um, but it, it dawned on me that, um, that because my heart was hurting, I, I didn't know how to be vulnerable. Uh, or at least I didn't know how to share what I wanted to say or whatever was going on. The, the mental blockage was because of a condition of my heart. And the condition of my heart is sadness, I think that there was, um, like, a, don't hear it and think, sound the alarm, send them on a sabbatical. Like, it was, the, uh, it was the path towards depression, where just anxiety and replaying conversations in my head and just the cycle of despair starts setting in. 
and and so I was just thinking all of these things and all of the pressure and all of the different stuff and feeling like Sunday's coming really um, was tearing me apart and trying to figure that out. And it was the campfire and talking with God, uh, which was a, an infuriating thing this week. Um, I didn't really sense God's presence in the midst of all of this. And that's not a pleasant feeling as a preacher. You really, you don't want to be up here in your own strength. It's really kind of foolish. You want to know that God's going with you. You want to know that God is present and give you his comfort and his strength. And so I was wrestling with that. And I was thinking, God, I'm not really sensing that you're around or that you care that Sunday is coming. You know that it is. So help me out here. And so... The reason why I'm sharing all of that is, one, I think it's okay to say that I'm a human and uh, it doesn't always click. Um, I say all that vulnerably and I think, now you're thinking, what has Jordan done? And uh, you can ask Wendy, I don't think it's anything. Um, I think it's just navigating the world and its brokenness. I think it's just navigating that, that sin and death, and conflicts, and pain, and all of these things are so real. And it's been so, it's been so like deep, and, and hurtful, and uh, that it has uh, so, uh, so harmed my heart that um, I reached out to minister friends this week. I had held off and I, I have a, a group of buddies that we text together, and, and most of it's goofing around, but we pray for each other a lot. And, and I hesitated to even write it several times. And, and finally, I was just like, why am I not asking them for help? Why am I not turning to them? And it's all of this, this whole week. Uh, a couple of weeks of trying to search and understand and feel God's presence and wonder what is God up to. And and then I read uh, Matthew chapter 9 and things started to click and I realized that this, I've been searching for the message and this struggle is the message. The struggle to know that God is present the struggle to know that there is one who is ready to lead and care for us. This ongoing tension that we all face, whether we realize it or not, of whether or not God even cares about you. Have you wrestled with that before? In the midst of whatever heartache is going on in your life, I know that I'm not the exclusive member of the self-pity club. Um, as I, as my opening may have sounded like that. But there are times when it feels like God isn't present or that God is uh, hitting the snooze alarm on your prayers. And it feels like you're not sure what the next day will bring or even what the next hour will bring. In our sadness, in our sorrow, in our pit of despair, I wonder... I wonder sometimes what God is up to. 
and I'm not getting much of a sense that you guys are with me on it, but but I feel like I'm not alone and feeling like God isn't always present. In Matthew chapter 1, we get uh, this opening that when I was a kid, I never read because there was a big long list of names and you wonder what's the deal with all the names and who cares. It says uh, in chapter 1, starting in the very beginning, it says this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The word genealogy there is actually the Greek word Genesis. And it is, uh, we would just totally read and skip over it. I've skipped over it literally every single time I've ever read it. I was like, okay, it's the word genealogy. I know what that means. It's literally the same word used to, uh, for the naming of the first book of the Bible. It means birth or origins. When Matthew chooses the word Genesis, he is using it intentionally to say there is something new beginning here. That there is something new beginning and it's new with Jesus Christ. And as we've read the Old Testament together in the last, uh, the last year, these names all play a part in that story of what God is doing. And the two most important names uh, or arguably the two most important names there are Abraham and David. And Matthew uses both of them to say God is doing something new with a new beginning, but he's also, uh, he's also pulling in uh, from the Old Testament, he's also pulling in his covenant faithfulness. He's saying, remember Abraham, and this one, Jesus Christ, who's come, this new thing, is something that was talked about long ago, way back in Genesis 12, that Abraham was given this promise. And this promise would be that God would bless all of the nations through his offspring. And Matthew was saying, here it is right in front of you. Jesus Christ is the beginning of this new thing. Jesus Christ is the beginning of this hope, this blessing for all people. And he says he's son of David too, and it's just such a weighted, uh, weighted thing when you start calling him son of David. David was given a promise, a covenant in 2 Samuel 7 that said that he would have an everlasting kingdom. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that. He's the fulfillment of Abraham. He's the fulfillment of David. He's the fulfillment of Moses and the law. He is the fulfillment of the prophets, of the one who's long awaited for and every name in his genealogy is a point towards the mercy of God and his steadfast faithfulness to keep working and not give up on his people, to care for them and, and draw them near to him. As I was reading Matthew this week, I knew all of these things. I had all of the head answer to these things, but I wasn't feeling the sense of God's presence. I was so excited to finally have familiarity. Like, I didn't have to do a bunch of, like, extra hard work. I could just write, you know. If you said, Jordan, make something up about Matthew, I could do that. But it wasn't happening this week. I was looking for something. God, bail me out here. I thought we would just do a four-point sermon on genealogies. Come on, people. I was thinking, oh, I could do 23 in me and we could do something playful. 
but it wasn't coming to me. And so I kept reading, and I kept digging, and I kept praying, I kept asking, God, what is it that we need to hear? What is it that I need to hear? And it's in Matthew chapter 9, where we get a summary of Jesus' ministry, but we also get capture the heart of Christ. In Matthew 9.35, it says that Jesus, He went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues. And this is what He says. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And He's healing every disease and sickness. If you are asked the question, what is the gospel that Jesus preached? Here's your answer. He proclaimed the good news of the availability of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom is here. This is Jesus' message. In Matthew 4.17, it says, after the baptism, after his uh, temptation, it says, from that time on, Jesus began preaching and teaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. If you look across the scriptures, uh, across the gospel, the the fundamental teaching of Jesus Christ is the availability of the kingdom and what the kingdom is like. If you don't believe me, read it and report back. Tell me if I'm wrong, but every you think about the majority of the parables begin, the kingdom of God is like. Over and over again, the message that is, is on Jesus' lips is that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand, and it's time now to respond to this. And we start wondering, what exactly is the kingdom? I've heard it described in a lot of different ways. Dallas Willard, he calls it, it's where God gets what God wants. I think the kingdom of God is this. It's the presence of God. In all of the things that we try to do to explain it, the final picture of Scripture is God with His people. It's where people's hearts and their wills and their hopes and their dreams are all aligned with God. It's, it's where all of the disease and all of the sickness, all of the illnesses, all of the pain and all of the suffering are not swept under the rug. They're healed. And they're healed by the presence of God. This kingdom that Jesus announces, it's His kingdom. It says in Philippians 2, that beautiful, wonderful picture about humility, that though being in very nature God, He did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. But He took on flesh and He made Himself nothing and he empties out his entire life even to the point of death suffering on the cross and then and then it says that god made his name above every name and he seated him at the highest place from the moment of jesus's crucifixion to his resurrection to his ascension what becomes of jesus is he is king and he reigns over his kingdom And he says, this kingdom is available to you. To each and every single one of us. He says, you have a place in my kingdom. 
and you don't deserve it, but He's done everything that He can to open the gates for all of us. And here's the phrase that helped me know what today's message was about. It says that Jesus, He went into all the synagogues and He, and he went and He proclaimed the good news and He healed the sick. And then it says He looked at the crowds And he had such great compassion for them. And the word compassion, I don't, I don't know if we can give the full weight of the expression of Jesus Christ's love for the people when he looks at them. Just how great it is that he loves every single person he looks at, and this is what he's broken by. It's not by the per, uh, those with paralysis. It's not those who are sick and who are hurting. Jesus has plenty of compassion for them, but Jesus says, or uh, Matthew describes Jesus' compassion is because the people are harassed and they are helpless. They are like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus' greatest compassion is reserved for all of us who misunderstand who is in charge. Jesus' greatest compassion is for those who are living an aimless life outside of the kingdom of God. His greatest compassion is for those who have lost their center, who are meandering and wandering away. Jesus' greatest compassion is for those who are spiritually lost, who are without hope, who are harassed by sin and death and suffering. Jesus, His heart and His compassion is for everyone who need a leader in their life. His heart is broken. And He looks at the spiritual need of the people around Him and He describes them as sheep who are without shepherds. And to these people He says, the kingdom is available to you. To this, he says, there is a king and he is here and he is present and he wants to lead your life. And then he says, pray for the harvesters because the workers are few but the harvest is many. He says, pray for workers and get them out there. And then just a little while later, he says, this is the message that you guys go and you preach. He says, go into all of the villages and tell them this. The kingdom of God is near. The message is that there's hope and there's a leader and there's one who wants, uh, there is the opportunity to be saved. There's the opportunity to have life in the kingdom of Christ. Go and announce that. Pray for workers. Pray that this message might go out. It's uh, a dangerous prayer to pray. After they pray it, Jesus immediately sends them out. They were probably regretting it. But pray the prayer ourselves, that God would send out workers. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 28, and at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, 
is the idea of Emmanuel. That's the reason why we sang Christmas songs this morning. Emmanuel, we, we know it. We've been to church on Christmas before. What does it mean? God with us. Thank you, my one participant. You guys are going. There's just only one of you knew the answer. We've got to work on this. God with us. All right, pop quiz. What is the last phrase of Matthew's gospel? Amen. <laughs> Thanks, Dick. Now, now I asked for audience participation, but now I'm regretting it. It's the Great Commission. It's the closing. He says, Go, therefore, to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely, I am with you. I'm with you to the very end of the age. Now tell me this. Is Jesus right or are my feelings right? Is Jesus Emmanuel, God with us? Or is Jordan's feelings because he's depressed and discouraged, are they true? The fundamental sin of my life and everyone's life is the ignoring of God. And just because I don't feel God's presence does not mean that God isn't present. And this is the fundamental issue that if we could just simply overcome and recognize that in every moment of every day, Jesus Christ is with us. How much easier it would be for us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. The message today is that there is a compassionate God who cares so deeply for all of us that He gave His life for us. And He said, come, I want you to be with me. The whole story of Scripture begins and ends with a God who is pursuing us and wants to be with us. And He calls it the Kingdom of God. Where Jesus Christ is your Lord and your King. And all of us have our life in Him. Friends, that's my heart. And I hope it's your heart that we would long to look to Christ and turn our eyes upon Him. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love You. And we thank You for Your Word and Your Scriptures so that we can hang on to Your truth when we are certainly discouraged and broken and saddened and lonely God, you know the circumstances of all of our lives. You know the discouragements. You know the happiness. You know the joy. You know all of the hurt. God, it can be so hard for us to remember that you're with us. 
And sometimes, God, we don't get the tingling feeling. We don't get that sense. We don't get any notion that you're here, that you care. And we know it's not because of a lack of faithfulness on your end. God, we thank you. We thank you that your compassion in Jesus Christ is genuine and real. God, help us to see you as the Father who has compassion for the prodigal son. And you go sprinting after us. And you welcome us and you love us. God, when we tell ourselves lies and untruth, when we're drowning in self-pity and sorrow and sadness, let our suffering lead us to you. Let our sadness lead us to you. Let us always know that whether we feel it or not, you're present with us. We thank you for your compassion and we need it all the more today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is at the... uh, uh, Towards the end of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 20, a verse that I hope will sort of set the stage of the rest of our year together studying the New Testament. In Matthew 20, 29, it says... As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them. They told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, Have mercy on us. Jesus stopped. And he called them and he says, What do you want from me? What do you want me to do for you? Lord, we want our sight. Jesus, he had compassion on them. And he touched their eyes. And immediately they received sight and they followed him. What do we ask of the Lord today? But to touch our own eyes that we might see him and follow him. Let's stand and sing.